Your life on earth for the true believer is to point people, to show, to show what? That the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. I can't save me. I can't save you. But Jesus can do both. Amen. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Let's take our Bibles and let's turn to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, looking at verses 21 through 23. And as you're opening your Bible... Uh, We are looking at the topic today of Christ-suffering example. A Christ-suffering example. Uh, He gave us many examples all throughout His earthly life and His ministry. And I think one of the greatest ones that we often miss, that we often neglect, is the example of His suffering. Christ suffered greatly, just not on the cross, but uh, he suffered greatly. We see all throughout Scripture that even on the front end of his life there, as he's living this life at a young age, and then through his teenage years, if you will, and moving forward into young adulthood, we see that uh, he was rejected often. The man of sorrows, the man of truth, rejected and reviled. The suffering servant that we often refer to him as in Scripture. And so here in 1 Peter chapter 2, I pray you have your Bible wide open. And here's what the Word says, 21 and 23, as Peter unpacks this suffering in the midst of joyful submission. He says this in verse 21, For to you, don't miss that, have been called, hmm, because Christ also suffered for you. Now, wrap your head around that quickly. Leaving you an example. Why? So that you might follow in His steps. 22, He explains this even deeper. He drills down. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Wow. Oh, wow. I don't know if there's a greater Scripture portion in all of Scripture that should encourage our hearts today that as we suffer for truth, as we suffer for the gospel, we've already learned through these verses As you've been here, we go verse by verse, word by word, and we've learned over and over that part of this life, if you're really in for Jesus, is going to be the road marked with suffering. There's just no other way around it. No detours. 
You just can't uh, take a break on an exit ramp and a rest stop. It is literally par for the course for the true believer, and especially in the context of persecution for standing for truth. You got to remember in those verses preceding as we launch into this, in verse 19, look in your Bible, he gives us a a statement that, that really cuts to the core of our flesh, but I pray we embrace it. And here it is. For this is a gracious thing, a careless, unmerited favor thing, when mindful of God, our consciousness on God, that one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? Well, it isn't. But if when you do good and suffer for it, when you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Now, take that whole concept, church, in those couple verses there leading in, and look right now at 21, because he explains the why. This is so important. He explains the why behind verses 19 and 20. Here's the why. For to you, you, make it personal, it's also plural, so you can make it singular. In the original language, we would say this, that he's saying to you corporately, as those believers in that day, to the believers, you and I today, he says, for to you, you have been called. You've been called. There's a calling on your life. And the calling on your life, church, you got to understand this, is not just to make a profession of faith in Christ. That's a good thing. But the calling on your life is to give your life to Christ and then to obey Him to live a life worthy of the gospel. That's the call. And where this gets so convoluted is in this element of suffering that filters into our lives, and for me, I'm talking to me this morning, it's not if I will suffer for the gospel, it's simply a matter when. I hope you don't miss this. By the illumination of the Holy Spirit, Peter encouraging those believers who are suffering for the gospel They had it really, really bad. When you study the church history back in that culture and what they went through to live for Christ and all the pushback and the slander and the lies and the accusations that they went through, he's preaching to them, if you will. He's writing to them. He's saying, look, I don't want you to lose heart because often we lose heart in the midst of the suffering. And it actually could be, in my life and your life, a catalyst, a watershed moment for God to work in such a powerful way that as we surrender everything to Him, perhaps He actually will use our suffering not only for His glory, but as painful as it is. He can use it for our good. He's called us because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example 
See, Jesus did something in verse 21. He did something. He left us a pattern to follow. Yes, He suffered and He went to the cross and we have eternal life and and we all shout amen. But we miss this. We miss the journey to the cross. We celebrate Easter. We like bunnies. We like chocolate. Everyone shouts amen, right? But we forget about the road to the cross. We forget about the suffering to the cross. And I'll be the first to admit, I don't like suffering. But to this you have been called. But to this you have been called. Please don't miss that. For the true believer, you've been called. Here's the great news. Jesus left us an example. Why? So that you may follow in his footsteps. Elizabeth Elliot, one of our favorites at our house, if you know her story, her husband was executed while serving as a missionary. And she had a choice. Do I pack my bags and go home? No, I'm actually going to stay and minister to the people that killed my husband. Church, when you know your call, you stay in the fire. And as she said, God uses the file, the hammer, and the furnace. And some of the most glorious moments in her life is now she has ministered through books and women's gatherings all over the world is that none of this, none of this would have ever happened unless her husband got executed and she made the decision, I'm staying in the furnace. And I would venture to say millions of people haven't been impacted by her obedience. I was just thinking on that and I wrote down this note and it's our key number one and here it is. True followers of Christ will suffer because He suffered for us. True followers of Christ will suffer because He suffered for us. If you and I can wrap our minds around that one thought and begin to just hug it and embrace it, I'll tell you what, once we get through the pain of embracing it, it's freeing. It's really, really freeing. Just to, hey, this is how it is, and this is par for the course, and you just press on, and you stay in the furnace till the Lord pulls you out of there, and whatever may happen, you just trust Him for the obedience and the faithfulness to Him, because this right here is a game changer. This right here is a game changer in your life, in your business, your ball team, in your church, It's a game changer. It's painful, but when you and I embrace this, this suffering from the persecution for standing for truth to Christ, this is actually, I know this sounds so weird, but I'm learning this right now. It's actually a gift. I know that sounds bizarre. 
It's actually a gift. Why? Because you're called. And the calling of God that the Word says is irrevocable. It means this, without repentance, without changing the mind. What are you suffering through today? Are you suffering in your family because you've taken a stand for the gospel and, and not everyone's excited about it? Are you suffering at work because you're saying, you know what, I'm going to follow the Lord and, and I'm all in and I've given my life to Him. My life's no longer my own. And, and not everyone's excited about it. Where are you suffering today? Trevin Wax said it like this. Just listen closely to this quote. This is powerful. Trevin Wax. When we say we want to be the hands and feet of Jesus, we must remember what happened to the hands and feet of Jesus. Wow. Let that sink in. Oh, I want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Really? Holiness. A joyful submission. Denying self, taking up our cross, following, obeying Him. It really goes back to that during the suffering. I know I do this, and maybe you can identify as well, but when I'm suffering, I typically look at it from this angle, unfortunately. I typically ask the Lord, what do you want for me? When I need to begin asking God, what do you want from me? See, often we're suffering because He's wanting something from us. Obedience, holiness, righteousness. And we're just so conditioned in this meistic, idolatrous American culture that we are just so inundated and brainwashed into me. And in the midst of your suffering today, God will reveal what He has for you once you answer the question, and I answer the question, what does He want from me? Often He's trying to get our attention. He's trying to say something. We're kind of like, God, you know, we're going in this direction, and, you know, hey, we're just going here, and hey, if we need you, we'll let you know. We'll tweet you, we'll gram you, we'll let you know somehow. No, in the midst of the suffering, as the Bible is just in us, as we study the Bible, have you, have you picked up this theme? That the closer you get to Christ, surrender, obedience, holiness, righteousness, all the things that the Bible teaches, the closer you get to Christ, the smaller the crowd around you will become. Why? There's just too much pain in the offering. Now, for the true believer, there isn't. For the true believer, it's like, man, I'm all in. I want to make a difference. My life is not my own. I'm in it for God's glory. We've got to understand that if you are truly in for Christ today, you will suffer for Him, period. And once you get that buttoned up, it again is a game changer. Because once you button it up and you go, okay, this, this is how this works, when the file, when the hammer, when the furnace heats up, you press on. You just press on. Because God's blessing is not on this side of the Jordan where we're not faithing Him. God's blessing is on the other side when we get in the water and trust Him. 
Hebrews says it like this. Powerful, powerful verses in Hebrews. Chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. Listen to this. Take care. Be on your guard, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving, not surrendered heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Many are falling away today. But exhort, encourage, come alongside. Rebuke is what that word also means. Exhort who? One another. Every day. How long? When? Every day. As long as it's called today. Why? That. Here's the why. That none of you may be hardened, calloused, rebellious, defiant. By what? By the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Why? Because as it is said today, today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. He's quoting here, the writer of Hebrews is quoting here from Psalm 95, 7 through 8. That last phrase is Psalm 95, 7 through 8. And he's pulling from the Old Testament. You've got to remember, there's a lot of Jews that are listening into this writing, and he's pulling going, I know they'll identify with this. Did you catch this, by the way? He says this, under this key one of suffering for Christ as par for the course, he says that none of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Here's the power of deceit. When I'm deceived or when you were deceived... The power is we think we're actually walking rightly. How many people ever get deceived and go, you know what? I'm walking in deceit today. I'm deceived today. Of course you don't. That'd be weird. We actually think we're walking in rightness. We think we're walking in truth. That's the power of deceit. Remember the four soils? Mark chapter 4, 15 through 17. One of the four was good, 25%. In case you're wondering, not a good percentage. The word is the seed. Here's what Mark says in chapter 4, 15 through 17. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy. Now, if you pause, there you go. Man, this sounds amazing, right? This is so good. But what happens? But they have no root in themselves. (laughs) What happens when the plant doesn't have any roots? Well, it flourishes, right? It grows really big and tall, right? No, what happens? Well, you see what happens right here. There's no root in themselves, but they endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or church persecution, there it is, arises on account of the Word. Did you catch this? I hope you didn't miss this. Of all the things that God could have said in His Word in Mark chapter 4, He says these words. It's amazing. He goes, look, the issue is not they received it with joy. That's a good thing. The issue is not this, that they actually were persecuted. The issue is this, they're being persecuted because of the truth. When we're persecuted for truth what's going to happen is you will find out who really is in. You say, how do you know? This is what this says. Listen closely again. 
they have no root in themselves. It's all fluff. It's all filler. It's all, what's going to make me happy today? And there's no substance. There's no fidelity. Give me something to sink my teeth into. Give me something that when the storms of life hit, that a mighty fortress will be my God. Give me something that when the storms of life begin to batter my sails, that when the file and the furnace and the hammer come out, give me something that the roots will be deep and they'll go deep and they'll sink deep. Because what do roots do? They go deeper and deeper as they're looking for water. And for the people that really don't want water, they'll give you a bunch of excuses. But they simply won't give you the truth on why they're falling away. Account of the Word. That's why Philippians chapter 3 says it like this, verses 8 through 10. Paul now writes. I want you just to imagine for a moment before we read this. Imagine if every professing believer began to live these verses. Just imagine, before I read them, imagine if every professing believer began to live these verses. Philippians 3, 8 through 10, Paul writes, Indeed, I count everything as loss. Why? Because of the all-surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, as garbage. See the perspective here? In order, here's the why, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. This is so awesome. And be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own. Well, you get there and you're good to go, man. If you get right there to verse 9, you're good to go. Because that's the only thing you can plead on that day. You can't sit there and go, man, I was a really smart, God. And, you know, I really succeeded in this venture in life. And do you like my house? Do you like my car and my sailboat? Do you like all that? That's pretty amazing, wasn't it, God? We're going to be plead any of that stuff, even to the religious degree. I was a pastor. I was a deacon. I was a Sunday school teacher. Do you think that was cool, God? I was amazing, wasn't I? No, 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 no. The only thing we'll be able to plead on that day, the only thing, church, the only thing we will be able to plead on that day is the righteousness of Christ. And the glory is this, church. Here's the glory. It'll be more than enough. When I stand in front of Jesus and give my account on that day, the only thing I'm going to need to plead is His righteousness. Man, I was under your blood. I was under your righteousness, Christ. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your rest. See, Paul's life was changed. And he says it doesn't come from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Why? That I may know Him. That word know is so powerful. It's so powerful. Don't miss this. It gives the connotation of intimacy. That I may know Him. Do you really know Jesus today? Like, is there an intimacy in your life? That I may know Him, what? And the power of His resurrection. I wish, I wish the Holy Spirit would have put a period right after the word resurrection. Can I get an amen on that one? 
Because look what he says next. Look what he says next. And may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Oh, how we love the champion, the power of the resurrection, and we should. Amen? But oh, how we need the champion that we may identify with Christ and begin to share in His sufferings for the truth of the Gospel. That's a family, a business, a ball team, an individual life. That's a church that's on fire for His glory. That when we begin to understand that it's just not all about, you know, getting saved, passing go, and collecting 200. No, this is about wholesale surrender, giving your life to Christ, total commitment, abandoning everything. And what happens? We understand this deep theological premise. A, we will suffer. B, let's embrace it. C, oh, it should be actually one of our goals in life. Wow. Man, you talk about pushing back against the American dream. Well, Jesus knows that the American dream is really an American nightmare. And he says, this is the way to true joy and contentment. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. Think about those thoughts and then read these words in verse 22. He committed no sin. Okay, that's pretty clear, right? He acted on no sin. He committed. He did not follow through on any sin. The word no means this, none, like zero, not .009, no, none. So he committed no sin. This is very important, by the way, that we understand this because it's going to springboard into these thoughts here. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. There's that word deceit again. The power of deception is we actually think we're going in the right direction. That's the power of deception. Jesus committed no sin. I don't care what Hollywood says. I don't care what books say. I look to one book. It's called the Bible. And the Bible is very clear in this, that Jesus committed no sin. If he committed any sin, he would not be the spotless lamb. The, the lamb had to be perfect. There are people today, I've seen the data, I've seen the studies, that as they launch these results from these surveys, there are professing believers in our country today, high percentages that now believe that Jesus Christ sinned. I mean, just try to wrap your head around this. It just proves several points, but one is this. It proves how lack of discipleship will begin to lead people into the darkness. A lack of discipleship will lead people into darkness. 
Oh, we're just, how many are here and how much is in the offering? Check, check, let's go on. Totally missing it. Key number two in the midst of persecution, I will seek to imitate Christ and guard my heart, which will in turn guard my mouth. Key number two, write it down. In the midst of persecution, I will seek to imitate Christ and guard my heart, which will in turn guard my mouth. This is a great, great principle. When the heart gets spiritually guarded, the mouth gets spiritually guarded. When the heart gets spiritually guarded, the mouth gets spiritually guarded. A rotten mouth is typically a byproduct of a rotten heart. If people are talking about others and gossiping and slandering and lying, oh, we love Jesus though. Really? Really? <laughs> I mean, really. So what do we do? Well, daily we look to Christ, we look to the Word, and we look away from self. Think what that will do. I mean, think about this for just a moment. So we know this, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, amen? Like, I, I sin, I struggle, you sin, you struggle. Think about this thought. What does Scripture command us to do when we sin? Not a trick question. Any ideas? Well, confess and repent. Those are probably pretty solid biblical ideas, correct? Since we sin every day, what else do you think we should be doing every day? I mean, if we sin every day, by a show of hands, who struggles in this life and would be truthful enough to say, you know what, to some element, I'm sinning every day. To some element. I know I am. I admit this. So, so if we take that premise, we take that premise, and we already know that we should confess and repent of sin, what else should we be doing every day besides sinning? I imagine you get a group of people not going, what do I got to repent from? Instead going, oh Lord, what can I repent from today? I mean, imagine you get people together just doing this daily. Moment by moment, God, I need to repent here. Oh, man, I shouldn't have said that and shouldn't have thought that. And Boy, I was harsh over here and got angry over here and I'm bitter here in my heart. And imagine we begin to repent. We change our mind. We turn from this. We get out of the darkness. You know, in the business world, and I've been there, you seek to please the customer. In the church world you seek to please God. What's so interesting about this when you think about that thought, so often we spend a large majority of our time seeking man's opinion when we completely neglect to seek the one opinion that matters, and that's God's. It's just amazing how this gets convoluted and twisted. That's why I want you to preach these words to yourself, these truths as I preach them to myself. And watch, church, watch how your mind, watch how your heart, watch how your soul begin to shout with confidence in the Lord. Listen to these verses, rapid fire. Here they are, Hebrews 4, 14 through 15, 16 rather. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. 
Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. Think about this. But one, think about this, this is just so good. For we don't have a high priest who is unable. I mean, did you catch that? I, I just hit that, that word unable. He's not unable to sympathize. Yes, he is. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. There it is. Let us then, because of that, because of that foundational point, let us then with confidence draw near to God, to the throne of grace. Why? That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Praise God. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 7 through 9. Love this. But we have this treasure, this gospel treasure in these jars of clay. We are a bunch of broken pots is what we are. Why? To show. See, we're here to point. Your life on earth for the true believer is to point people, to show. To show what? That the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. I can't save me. I can't save you. But Jesus can do both. Amen? For we are what? Afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, there's that word. But not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. What's good in it? And lastly, Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, 31 through 39, under this key too of in the midst of persecution, I will imitate Christ and guard my heart, which will in turn guard my mouth. Listen to what Paul writes now in Romans chapter 8. What then shall we say to these things? Since God is for us, is the better translation, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously, caress, unmerited favor, give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, praise God, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. This is amazing. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, Psalm 44, 22. I love this. For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. However, here's the response, 37, no, in all these things, no, in all these things, those four words, we are more than conquerors. How? 
through him who loved us. 38, for I am sure, I am confident, I will not be moved, Paul is saying, that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything, he covers the gamut here, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord and all God's people said, wow, that's good, isn't it? I don't know if that encourages your heart today, but that gets me excited. And I don't know if you caught this church. Don't miss this. In all these things, not apart from the suffering, actually in the suffering. I mean, it makes logical sense, right? How can you be a conqueror? Which, by the way, when he says that, it means this in the original, hyper-victory, running clock, mercy rule. I mean, total domination here. We are more than conquerors. And this is a hard one for me. I know it's a hard one for you. He doesn't say we're more than conquerors when our circumstances get better. He doesn't say we're more than conquerors when things turn out like I would like or you would like. He actually says this, in these things. Oh, it's hard to win a battle you're not actually in, amen? And that's exactly what Paul is saying. You're in the battle. The darkness is pressing in. The persecution, the lies, the slander, the gossip, all that goes on out of the mouth, because we know this from God's Word, that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's in here will come out. If it's godly, it's going to come out. If it's flesh, it's going to come out. Paul's saying through Romans and Peter saying in our text today, you're going to face suffering. So lastly, what did Christ do in the midst of the persecution? Well, here's the answer just from Scripture. Don't you love when we go to Scripture and just say, what do you say, God? Because we're concerned with your opinion. Well, here's what He did. When He was reviled. you catch that when? Not if, but when He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. Did you catch this? I mean, listen to this. This is so powerful. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So here's the key number three. Write it down. When I am persecuted, not if, but when, as a true follower, I will not retaliate but I will continue to trust God as I pursue faithfulness and obedience and holiness. When I am persecuted as a true follower of Christ, a Christ follower, I will not retaliate, but I will continue to trust God as I pursue faithfulness, obedience, and holiness. See, that's why we got to get out of the feeling business and get into the knowing business. Our feelings will betray us. That's why we get back to what do we know. 
See, when we know this, it's in us. The Bible's in us, and we're, we're drinking deeply from God's Word, and we know just not that our Redeemer lives, but we know, as Paul said, that in the midst of the suffering in it, we are more than conquerors. This Scripture struck me, and I, I pray that, that it will strike you in a positive way as well. It's Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3. And listen to what it says, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3, "'Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that,' there's the why, "'so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted.'" So in the midst of your suffering today, when people are coming against you, as Peter is writing here, and he's saying, look, I, I want you to see the example of Christ. Remember, that's the whole theme about the text today. As we're now in these verses, he says, look to Christ. Just look to Christ. Well, what a great verse to look to Christ. Here it is again, Hebrews 12, 3. I want to make sure this sinks in. Consider, it means this, to meditate on Him. So, consider Him. Meditate on Him. So, in other words, John, don't look at yourself. Uh, don't uh, look at even those around you. Just consider. Meditate. Shift your gaze from here and shift it to Christ. Consider Him, Christ, who endured from sinners such hostility. It means mistreatment. It means the vile pushing against is what this means. What happens? So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Here's your challenge for the week. In the midst of your suffering this week, whatever it might look like, just try this. See if it works in your life. The default is, at least in my life, is that when I'm suffering, it can be very tempting to turn even more inward. This week, when you're suffering for the truth of the gospel, don't turn inward, turn heavenward. Don't turn inward, turn heavenward. Begin to turn your eyes upon Jesus, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim. Not in our circumstances improving. The fire actually may get hotter. The hammer may crush even more. The file on our lives may prune even more to refine. It actually may get worse. But as you walk in truth, you walk in confidence. As you walk in truth, you know this, that your Redeemer lives, and you know this, that the mighty fortress is our God in the midst of the struggle. Otherwise, you don't need a fortress. Who needs a fortress when they're not in a battle? And by the way, you'll never be battle-tested unless you're in the battle. You'll never be forged by fire unless you're in a fire. And through all that, we grow with confidence because Matthew 5, 10 through 12 says it like this. And what a great reminder of persecution. As Peter's writing here in these short verses about Christ's example through suffering, look at Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount, greatest sermon ever preached. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Just grab onto that one thought, blessed. I know it doesn't make any sense. I know that suffering in, in the human realm doesn't make sense, that it's a gift, that it's a blessing, but it is. It's actually a blessing. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you see this? 
Blessed are you when, not if, when others revile you and persecute you. They lie about you, they gossip about you, they slander you, and they utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. On my account, Jesus says, blessed are you. And then he says these words, rejoice. (laughs) I just chuckle every time I read that. Rejoice and be glad. Why? For your reward, here it is, is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So here's the question, takeaway question, am I suffering today? Am I suffering today? Not a suffering that I'm referring to that's self-inflicted, but am I suffering on Christ's account? Jerry Falwell Sr., please make a note of that, made this statement years ago. You don't determine a person's greatness by his talent or wealth as the world does, but rather by what it takes to discourage him. God's man is indestructible until he has finished the work of God that he has called him to do, end quote. That's why the action step is this. As I leave here today, I will daily seek to live a life worthy of the gospel in the midst of the suffering for the gospel. As I leave here today, I will daily seek to live a life worthy of the gospel in the midst of suffering for the gospel. Church, there is great hope, amen? There's awesome hope because Christ lives, He rules, He reigns. And I pray we never forget that, that that we are people, that we are a people that embrace the goodness of God, just not in the good times, but yes, even in the suffering moments of life. God doesn't change. He changes not, is what the Bible says. He's immutable. He's unchangeable. And so we cling to Him. We don't cling to the circumstances. I know it's hard. Got the t-shirts. But you press on, you stay in the fire because we know this, that where God guides, He truly does provide, He leads, He feeds, and God can do that work in your life today. I was thinking as a closing thought of, have you ever taken light and and shined it, turned on a light, if you will, in an already lit room? You ever done that before? Like the, the... the room's already bright, and you turn it on, and what does it do? Well, it burns up electricity, right? Amen? But what's it really do? Well, if it's already brightly lit, it doesn't do a whole lot. I pray that that thought just encourages you today that are suffering for the gospel. Don't miss this. Because when you take the truth of God's Word and the gospel to a dark and depraved place, The Bible promises this, that the light will never be overcome by the darkness. So as you're facing opposition, as you're facing challenges at work or in your family, and those family members don't like that you're just 
in for Jesus. Or at work in the workplace, they're like, man, you're taking this Jesus thing way too far. Just know this, that your light in the darkness can never, ever be overcome. It reminds me of when I purchased that engagement ring for Kristen those many, many years ago. Good grief, that just threw me off. That was a long time ago. And I remember that when I went to purchase it, the, the salesperson was so clever in that they didn't just pull it out of the case there. As I pointed, you know, you kind of point there, and they pick out the one that says 10000 and you go, no, that's, that's not the one. Good try. And so they pulled out the one that I could afford, and he didn't just, like, hold it up in the light. What did he do? He brought out a dark velvet mat. And when he took the ring and he laid it on the dark mat, the light of the ring began to glisten. Oh, some of us today, God has placed us on a dark mat. And the question is, Will we stay on the mat? Because the light will glisten in the darkness as we model Christ's suffering. Amen. Lord, we come before you. What a great example Christ is, was, and forever will be. God, I pray that as we remember what you did, that we just don't isolate it to a day on a cross. I pray that we begin to realize the pain of that road you walked, Jesus. Those days of your life that were suffering days. So God, keep us in the light. Don't allow us to get pulled into the darkness. Keep us in the light. I pray we reflect on the glorious truths of your word. Pray we'll leave here changed. I pray we'll leave here more devoted to you. Holy Spirit, forgive us when we go our own way. And don't ask you what you think. So, Father, move in this time. Rip our hearts like only you can. And we'll give you the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.